We're entering our third week of Advent. Advent means preparation. It means arrival. It is that time of year that the church gets itself ready for the receiving and the celebration of the birth of Christ. It is in sharp contrast to, the, to just the way we all are, are living in these days. And I would say this, I mean, we're just super busy. I was out last night and you know, you've got things coming up in the week and we're just moving. And Advent, it's like four speed bumps in your road. And they, you come up and you go, we gotta slow down. And you slow down, and he's, that's what these four Sundays are. And in the slowing down, we, we examine our own hearts, and we go, what is, what, is, what is this text? What does this story mean as we think about the coming of Christ? The first message, we looked at the birth narrative, perhaps with maybe new and curious eyes to go, you know, there, it wasn't so much about no vacancy, no vacancy, go to the barn in, in the first story. It was really more likely a family member welcoming Mary and Joseph into their home. No room in the guest room, but there's room here in the broader room. And yes, there are animals down below. It's more like that. And we just said that whole, when we look at it in that way, what we note is someone made room for Jesus. And thus the theme of our Advent season, making room. Last week, Nate and Brittany interviewed by Rob talking about what it means to make room for strangers. This morning, I'm gonna ask you to consider what it looks like to make room in a, I'm not even sure what word to use, in a, a place, in a circumstance, in an experience of life that we don't often talk about, but we desperately need to make room for Christ in that place. We're gonna find it in this story we're gonna to go to in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, go there now. Luke, we're now in chapter one, chapter one of Luke. We're gonna go, it's a bigger section. I'm gonna cover it rather quickly, hopefully, just moving through it. It's when Luke describes the birth of Jesus, he begins with another birth. And that would be the birth of John the Baptist. And what we're gonna look at is not about his birth per se, but about his mom and dad and the circumstances they found themselves in prior to that birth. And my prayer is that what we will see in their circumstances will inform our own and will help each one of us to make room in this place and this experience of life that's difficult at times even to mention. I'm gonna read it, I'm gonna put a little heading on each, on each section, so let's, let's do a little Bible study together and then we will land with our, with our application. Our text, our, our word from God this Lord's day begins in verse five and I'm gonna head it, I'm gonna put this heading, godly and barren, godly and barren. Verse five, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Here are two people 
that the text says are exemplary. I, I don't know that you could get any better than this, righteous in the sight of God. Now, we want to be careful how we understand that. And when we are careful about how we understand it, we'll note he, it, it's not saying they were sinless before God. The idea is they, they kept the law faithfully. These were good, God-fearing, law-abiding people, not civil law, but the, the words and, and precepts of, of God. We don't feel this. I, I don't think we feel it when we read it, but I assure you the original audience would read this and the gap between verse six and verse seven would startle them. It'd be like they just, what did we just hit? Look again at it. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And I'm gonna tell you what's expected next would be, and God blessed them. And they had seven sons. And <laughs> That's what you're looking, but no, out of this righteous statement, but they had no child. She was barren. And they were advanced in years. This has gone on their whole life. To be childless in that culture, you all, was not simply what it ought to be, and that is sad, deeply sad, but it was frowned upon, as crazy as this sounds. Um, Elizabeth herself, she's gonna use it when we get to the back end of the passage, she'll use the word and say that she lived with reproach. Now think about that. Others weren't just sad for her. In fact, I don't know that they were sad as much as from her description, they were displeased with her. Can you imagine the weight of that for a woman who cannot have children? Just, just me talking about this right now, infertility, childlessness. Um, boy, that triggers something in, in many of us in this room, many, of, many who are online watching right now. God, God made, made us to, to reproduce, for a woman to have children. To, that's got to be one of the most painful, lonely losses in life. What, what I want us to grab here is to note that verse six and seven obliterate any notion that a life of faith makes for a life without pain and loss. I mean, those two verses just blow that out of the water. This is so hard even to say, but I believe is biblical. Godly and barren are not mutually exclusive. It's not an oxymoron. It's the biblical reality of a fallen world and fallen bodies. Now, as we're gonna see, it's not without hope, but this is reality. Verses eight through 17, I, I put a little heading on this in my notes call, and I just said, it's roll of the dice. It's a roll of the dice. Look at eight through 17, bigger section, stick with me. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, by the roll of dice, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. People praying outside, he goes inside. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. At this time in Israel, they were about 18,000 priests that served in the temple. They were divided into groups or divisions. And so uh, your group or your division would be called upon to serve. Y'all, it's a lot like the National Guard. Some of you may serve in the Guard. And you know, every summer you got your two-week thing you got to do. And for the priests, uh, they would be called up two times a year and they would serve for one week in the temple. One of the things that they would do is, is, is they would go into the temple there where the Holy of Holies was divided. And you know, there's a room here and here's a giant curtain and behind this Holy of Holies and here would be the altar of incense. And the priest would go in and burn incense. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an image, you know, think about the image of the, the, the scent of the, the, the incense, the prayers of God's people, the smoke rising on the incense, the prayers of God's people rising. They would cast lots for who got to go in because there were more priests than needed to do this one job. It was one of the great honors for a priest to get to do this. And we know this, that all those priests didn't get to do it. And those who did, did it once. And the way they picked them was a roll of the dice. Zachariah, of all those times, he's advanced in years. How many times have the dice been rolled? <laughs> and on this time, the number is his. I want you to consider what was going, what could have been in his mind, at least I think in part was there. He, when the angel spoke, okay, and told him what was gonna happen, he did not scratch his head and go, uh, okay, I'm gonna have a son, but what's he gonna do? And why is he gonna be here? And what do you mean he's gonna, not at all. He's a priest. He knows God's story of redemption. And he knows that Isaiah, some 700 years earlier, had prophesied that when Messiah comes, he will be preceded by another man, a, a forerunner of Messiah. 
Isaiah 40 verse three says of that man, he's a voice calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth the desert highway for our God. Zechariah knew that Malachi ending the Old Testament scriptures and ending the scriptures as, as a Hebrew would know it, that Malachi spoke of this forerunner and said of him, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Zechariah, when that angel said, this is what's gonna be, Zechariah, he, he knew all of these things. And he, he would have connected it all the way back to God's promise in Genesis 3 that God one day is gonna send a, a, a man, a, a singular, it's the singular in the, in the Hebrew text. He's gonna send a man who's gonna crush the serpent's head. In other words, gonna crush death and all death's friends. And that these promises of the forerunner were all connected to God's promise of redeeming humanity. This is not just a big moment in Zachariah's life, y'all. It's what I'm trying to help us see. It is a massive moment in the history of all creation. God fulfilling his promise to send a Messiah who would bring back a humanity to him through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And what, what's kind of, it's not a hum, I don't humor isn't the right word, but it's kind of a bit shiny as you go, and we're gonna let all that ride on the roll of some dice? I mean, dice, like chance, like randomness. The means God used to put Zechariah in that temple on that day, absolutely, it was, it was dice. But the dice God rolls are always loaded, always. Reformed theologian R.C. Sproul said many years ago, he says, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. Speaking of the minute and meticulousness, the, the minutia and meticulousness of God's providence, who's in charge, who's in control, who's reigning and ruling his creation and his creatures, God is. As it was for Zechariah and Elizabeth, so it is for you and me. There are no maverick molecules in the universe, you all. No random circumstances. Whatever comes our way comes not by chance, but by divine design. I mean, hear me once there's mystery in that that I can't get my head around, but there's clarity in the scripture who rules and reigns the universe. The infertility was as much under God's providence as the child who would come. What's true for them is true for us. Let me ask you a question. Don't, don't just kind of ponder it because I'm going to get to an answer. But just when you think about it, was, was Zechariah, as he burned that incense, was he praying, and Yahweh, would you give me an Elizabeth a child? You know, was he praying that? Because the angel comes and says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And then again, he gets a child. Now, you know, cat out of the bag, I don't believe that's what he was praying and I don't believe it based on the text itself as we'll get to 
here in this next section, 18 to 23. I just call it unbelief because here's, here's Zechariah's response to this proclamation from the angel. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. We're, we're beyond childbearing. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. See, there's the unbelief. You, you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they, they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. When the angel Gabriel says, I think it's kind of funny just that he says, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> like, do you, I'm Gabriel. But you know, that's how I see it. Now I don't know that happened like that. But he says, I am Gabriel. But then he says, I stand in the presence of God, meaning Zechariah, do you understand that me speaking this to you is God speaking this to you? That's what he means. Like God just spoke to you. When God created the heaven and the earth and everything, all things visible and invisible, animate and inanimate, Genesis 3, how did he create it? By what means? What did he do? He, yeah, think, watch the, sto watch the story here and underline every time it talks about speaking. The angel spoke that was God speaking. What God says is, it is. That's, that's what the angel is saying to Zechariah. One other thing, and then I'll answer that question about, what, about his prayer. I want you to note that he says, the angel, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now I wanna stop there just because that is the uh, evangelion, that's the, that's the evangel. That is in, in our gospel accounts when it talks about the gospel that Jesus was sent to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty we deserved. He was buried and rose again. And all who put their trust in him, their sins are forgiven and they're clothed in righteousness. That's called good news, that's the gospel. And so the angel says, look, I've been sent to give you this good news. And when he says that for us as readers, we go, oh, this, what, what's happening to Zechariah, it's not just about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It is God's redemptive purpose being lived out through them. And it lifts our eyes to the bigger story of God bringing a people to himself. Which is why I don't believe Zechariah in that temple was praying for a baby for he and his wife. Now, here's what I would say. Do you think Zechariah prayed that God would give them children? I think he prayed for decades. I bet a day didn't go by, I mean this, that he didn't pray. But he's already said, you know, I'm, I'm old. She's past childbearing. I don't know that he would have prayed that. But what I do know is this. The people were outside praying the priest, figuratively, carries the prayers of the people into the temple and offers to God the prayers of the people. 
I don't think the people were praying, and nothing wrong with this, were praying for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a child. I do believe they were praying this. God, would you redeem Israel? Would you send Messiah? Oh, save us, oh God. I promise you they were praying that. And this is the prayer God answers through Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then Elizabeth brings the last part of the story, this verses 24 and 25. You know, there's a song in Nowhere Town that the team wrote and we've done over the last few Christmases that is called, Look What the Lord Has Done. We sing that song sometimes. That's what I think about when I read this. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And there's where the weight hits, doesn't it? That for Elizabeth, this was not just difficult, hard, you know, a hard life that she didn't have children. She bore reproach. That's just with the cultural, the way the culture responded. From the first year of her marriage until that time, and we know now she's old. People who knew her expressed disappointment in her. That's just hard to even say. It's hard to think about. They expressed their disapproval. And may we mark it was for the majority of her life. So I want us to think about Zechariah and Elizabeth and what is it in their life that I'm trying to point us toward making room for. Let's do it this way. Let's start with just a little bit. I'd love to hear from you on this. Um, yes, a child came, okay, but that was, this was way late in life, way past childbearing. It was the shortest part of their life. So the most of their life they lived and she bore reproach, childlessness. What do you think that they felt, that they heard, that they experienced in their souls during all of those years? Just say a few words. What would they have felt and experienced? Sadness, sadness deep, deep sadness. Neglect. Say it again. Neglect, Neglect. yeah. Doubt, bitterness. Say it again. Isolation, shame, disappointment. Oh my gosh, we could bottle all those up and go, absolutely. Now here, here's where I want to be careful um, because I, you know, some, someone might go, well, Lord, you don't know what they felt because the text doesn't say that. I know that. Um, I, 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 I want to be careful when we think about what's not there. But also know this, we need not and dare not lift them to a place that's way above us, like that's the high and holy. They, you know, they, surely they just bore this like big godly people and never talked about it. Whatever. Okay, okay, that could be. I, I would suggest using our own spirit-inspired minds and experience that the human condition would tell us that anyone who experienced that level of disapproval and reproach would experience all of what we just said. That we can't, I think it'd be, I think we'd be wrong, quite frankly, to think they didn't. Like that didn't touch her heart and his. No, I think it touched them deeply. And I think the last word that came out over here was disappointment. And that's the place that I want us to think about where you and I need to make room for Jesus. 
in our disappointment. In our disappointment. Christian author Darina Williamson said of Zechariah, this aged man had grown so familiar with disappointment. And I agree, and I think Elizabeth exceeded his own. And I, I do want to suggest that their story invites us to make room for Jesus in our own disappointment. And I'm going to have to talk about this and unpack this just briefly for a little bit. When you think about disappointment, I've said this before, this will not be new to you, but one way to think about it is disappointment is the gap between our reality and our expectation. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's so big I can't even imagine it, but, but another way to say it is disappointment is the gap between what, we, what we're experiencing and, and what we hope, our longings. It's a gap between them. You might say, well, when you trust Jesus and you follow Jesus with your whole heart, that gap goes away. And I would say, I don't think so. And I don't think the Bible shows us that it does. If there were no such thing as disappointment, then that would mean, that would mean there's no death, there's no dying, there's no loss, there's no brokenness. That would mean the kingdom is here and it's here in its fullness. And that is not true at all. I don't know about you, but for the life of me, I cannot think of one thing in my life that has not been touched by disappointment. And you go, well, Lloyd, you're a pessimist. You always like that. Like, I go, no, I, I can't. Let's go to the one that most think will, will, will be free of it. My marriage. Now, Lisa's not here, so I can say this, but no, I'm teasing. She, knows, she, she would say this with no shame. Oh my, have we experienced disappointment in our marriage? Hello. In parenting? In, in working with y'all? <laughs> in all of us walking together to follow Jesus? I'm not... I'm not speaking in hyperbole when I say this. I cannot recall a Christmas that did not have a mark of disappointment in it. I don't know about you. Maybe yours are perfect. How does one live on this planet as a Christ follower and not have some disappointment? And the only way I can imagine it is, is for a person to live with no, you don't live with any measure of hope or longing, which is like trying to live without oxygen. And I think this is the biblical reality that while the kingdom has come, y'all, it's not come in its fullness. This gap of disappointment remains. Advent is a time when we prepare ourselves. And what I'm inviting us to do today is prepare ourselves by, by looking at our disappointments and not burying them and, and acting like it's not there. It doesn't exist. But that's why we long for this baby to be born, the Messiah, and do what he did. But the church for centuries has seen Advent not as preparation just for his birth, but the church has always celebrated Advent in terms of preparation for his future coming. See, for, for when he comes back again, for yes, in Christ, the kingdom has come. It is now, but it is not yet. And until he returns and sets all things right, 
destroys death forever. That gap, I don't care how small it gets or big it gets, it remains. The closing of that gap, see, we anticipate. Which gets to what I want us to do with disappointment. I've resonated with Philip Yancey's quote on disappointment from the first time I read it over 30 years ago. I've said it to you multiple times, I'll say it again. The only alternative to disappointment with God is disappointment without God. I believe that's true. Let me reframe disappointment for you in a way that maybe it gets closer to us and perhaps we can hold this. In fact, I, I wanna describe it in a way that we might find it a strange gift. This is, sounds crazy, but it might become a precious reminder to us. I was probably five or six years old. I had, I had to look up when this toy came out because I knew it was right after, soon after it had come out. Um, when I asked my parents for a Rock'em Sock'em robot. <laughs> Some of you don't know what it is, but man, it was the one I wanted. It was, it was gonna make my life very happy for a long time, fulfill all my needs, you know, whatever. Um, I remember when I asked, and uh, I remember that year that I asked, I didn't get it. Um, this is embarrassing in a way, but it's true. I don't remember a lot of things about my childhood. You know, my siblings will talk about things. I, I just can't remember. I can't pull this together. But by golly, I'm 62, and I remember when I didn't get Rock'em Sock'em Robots. It's sad. It's so sad. Lloyd, you don't remember your childhood, but you remember that? And I go, yeah, yeah, I do. And it's, I think there's something in it, honestly, even with other memories for me. It's like, I, it's like disappointment has long legs of memory. Hurts have long legs of memory, whatever. And it's so silly though, because can you imagine, can you imagine the great gifts I got that year that I don't even remember? I mean, and, and all my Christmases, I grew up in a home where my parents loved us to death and do anything and they wanted us to be happy at Christmas. You know, I got all kinds of great gifts, but I remember, I remember that, the power of, of, of a disappointment. I wasn't old enough then to, to know, you know, Lloyd, it's not the end of the world. But you know, when you're a kid, you know, I don't, I don't know what the gift is this year, but you've got kids and it's like it'd be the end of the world. They don't get it. I'm old enough to know that now. And I'm foolish and fallen enough to still be looking for Rock'em Sock'em Robot. To still be looking for the thing that's gonna be it. That's gonna satisfy that thing, that longing. But there's no something. You see where I'm going with this. There's only a someone. So disappointment keeps cropping up in my life, but rather than seeing it as loss, how about this? How about we reframe disappointment to say, you know what, in Christ, disappointment is the gift that keeps on giving me perspective to remind me that there's nothing in this life that's better than Jesus. Sometimes we sing the song. That there's nothing but Jesus that can satisfy the deepest longings and desires of the heart. Disappointment will, will 
either prompt you to make an idol. You're just, you know, you, this is your reality. That's what you wanted. I got to get an idol in here to fill the gap. And I'll tell you what it'll do. It will enslave you and it will spit you out unsatisfied. Or we're in life and you know, it's not going the way we hoped it would. And I've got a gap of disappointment and Christ in me in this disappointment can hold me and keep me even in that disappointment, which is a part of life. I'm gonna invite the worship team out because we're gonna, we're, gonna res- we're gonna do an application in a way that I, I hope enables you to apply this text today. We're gonna, we're gonna sing a song and let the lyric be our cry, our longing. When you and I make room for Jesus in our disappointment, you see, he's, it, it's by faith we trust God, you're present with me in this and whatever I was hoping for, you're enough. And, and either I, if I don't get it now or never get it in this life, you're enough, you can keep me. And here, here's what Jesus does. He's present, he holds us, he keeps us until we get home all the way home. And so I want you to stand, if you would please, and as you're standing, here's what I want you to to do. Would you, would you let the spirit bring to your mind a disappointment you're living with right now? Let's just keep it current. Let's just, where, where you're at in life and I could substitute the word loss, hurt, confusion, ache, pain, sadness, grief. What, what, what's that place for you? We're gonna sing our prayer and this song is gonna be familiar. Of course, the thrust of the song is come come Jesus yes it's come at this moment of advent but you know the Christian life is a daily advent a moment by moment advent come Jesus be with me in this that's that's the long legs of the song it's not just the historic advent would you let this be your cry in your moment and in your every moment when disappointment hits your heart. Good morning.
Father, this is our prayer. We hold in faith and trust and gratitude that you came. We stand on the other side of your birth, Lord Jesus. But we also stand between that coming and your coming again to set all things right. And in that space and time, everything's not quite right. And so we still cry, come. Be Emmanuel, God with us. That even with disappointment, we can rejoice. For your promise is sure and certain. Amen. Amen. Well, um, When the priest would leave after burning the incense, you know, don't forget, the people were outside praying. So it's not like he's in there for a day or whatever. He's in and they're waiting out there because it says they were waiting on him wondering, what's happened? Where is he? I mean, nobody stays in there that long. And he comes out. What he would normally do is he would come out and he would pronounce a blessing on, on the people having offered the prayers. Perhaps numbers, you know, the Lord bless you, keep you. But he couldn't speak. You see how speak runs through this text? There's so much in there. And yes, it was because he didn't believe, so there was a sense of judgment in it. You know, now you're not gonna be able to speak. But I cannot help believe that there's such a measure of grace in it that unable to speak and make things happen, he spent nine months silent with his thoughts no doubt reflecting on what was happening in his wife's womb right before his eyes. And no doubt reflecting on the angel's words and all the promises, and it's my son will be there, but it's about. And so when he finally spoke, and this is worth looking at, it's in chapter one at the back end (laughs) after John's born. But what comes out of his mouth is not I have a son, his name's John. It's not at all. What bursts forth from him, first words, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Boy, what came out of his mouth was way bigger than him and Elizabeth. It was that God saves. God keeps his promise, people. You can know that God keeps his promise. And this blessing is ours. Yes, to receive and hold. But I want to remind you when you walk out these doors, we've gathered here so you can carry that blessing to those who don't know Christ that can make room for him because we speak those words of blessing. Amen and God bless.